Welcome to Becoming Referrable, the podcast that helps you become the kind of advisor people can't help talking about. I'm Julie Littlechild, and today, Steve and I offer up a twofer. You see, we're talking to Penny Phillips, and in addition to hearing her insights on what it takes to run a successful business, we'll hear about her journey, one that took her from a corporate role to starting a successful coaching business, and now to her current role as president and co-founder at Journey Strategic Wealth. Penny will share some perspectives on how advisors need to adapt their businesses in the new environment, but points out that this evolution was always needed. She digs deep on the skills that advisors may need to develop going forward in order to compete. And she provides some incredibly interesting and important, I think, insights on the idea of self-coaching highlighting the idea that success isn't only about the tactics that we employ in the business, but the approach that we take and the roles that we play each and every day. And with that, let's get straight to the conversation with Penny. So Penny, welcome to the Becoming Referrable podcast. Welcome, Penny. Thank you for having me. Good to be here. Yeah, absolutely. I've I had the pleasure of her, hearing you speak a couple of times, and I've, I've often seen uh, some of your posts and great content, so I'm excited to have you on today. Um, and I want to talk about your work, but I was really struck when we were chatting before uh, having you on by some of the transformation you've gone through in your own professional life. And, and since I like a good journey story, I thought it might be interesting to start there and just sort of tell us uh, the kind of things you're working on and how that's evolved. Sure. And if you use the word journey, you probably know my new company that I just co-founded is called Journey Strategic Wealth. So and it fits in perfectly. So I, I just that's launched- the journey we wanted to know about. Right. Exactly. <laughs> there we go. Yeah. So, so I just launched with, with three other partners, a registered investment advisor or a national firm, but based on the East Coast in New Jersey, although I sometimes say just New York City tri-state area, but it is New Jersey. <laughs> and, um, you know, I, I say launching that business and, and it, it, we just launched it in January, but it really feels like what the past 12, 13 years have, have led to for me. So Julie, I, I shared with you, I, my entire career has been spent in, to some extent, financial advisor, coaching and consulting uh, with a focus on practice management. And I, I started my career at New York Life, the insurance company. And my first foray into practice management was working on an initiative at the time for their corporate RIA to help successful transactional insurance agents transition to become financial advisors and, and wealth managers. And it was a fascinating experience. And I grew really interested, not just in how advisors build businesses, but the mental shifts and transitions that they go through as they evolve in their careers. And so I I knew that I was going to spend my career in that line of work. And uh, after jumping around a bit, I launched my own coaching and consulting company called Thrivos, which is still around. Uh, we have wonderful coaches coaching there. But there was a, a moment last year when I really felt like there was bigger impact I could have on the industry. And after coaching advisors for the past five years about where they're at and transitioning and what the next phase of the life cycle is for them, I said, gosh, if I'm, if I'm coaching them to go independent, maybe I just build an RIA that's, that's built for a specific type of advisor, which I'm sure we'll talk about. 
and so I did that. And, and so that's, that's where I'm at right now. A lot going on, but exciting, fun work. <laughs> and, and so, well, why don't you tell us, you said a specific type of advisor. Can you talk about who you work with? Yeah, my experience, I've spent a lot of time in the independent space and specifically the insurance broker dealer space. And I, I've always said this, I think the insurance BD advisor, that woman or man who grew up in that type of culture and has made that transition successfully to be a wealth manager is the dark horse of the industry. Um, I, I find that in the RIA and indie space and in the MA space, people don't really talk about that advisor, but it's that advisor that I'm interested in. Um, extremely strong relationship management skills. They were raised in a culture where they had to sell a product that nobody wants, right? Like life insurance at, at a time <laughs> nobody wants it. And so they just have this raw ability to connect with people and couple that with technical competency in planning and, and investments and wealth management. For me, I'm, I'm, I'm very interested in that type of advisor. And what I was noticing the past couple of years is some of them had simply grown out of the broker dealer they were with and were looking to go independent. And they would always say to me, you know what, Penny, I can get a 92% payout at so-and-so firm. And they ended up making that transition, but then realized a 92% payout doesn't mean anything when you have to run a business, right? Your real net payout is 40% after you make payroll and set up tech and et cetera. And so I found that this idea of we're going to go independent and be really successful, make a lot of money there was a disappointment factor because what the advisor was actually looking for was not big higher payout. It was specific support around practice management and being a business owner. And I found that there wasn't a firm out there that was really built to solve that problem. I mean, every RA and firm says we do practice management, but there isn't a firm that's actually built a practice management coaching experience into the fabric of the RIA. And that's what we built with Journey. And so advisors join us and we essentially allow them to outsource all of practice management and operations to us. Right. Interesting, interesting model. Um, and, and I'm sure whether it's through the coaching clients that uh, your team is working with or whether it's through the advisors you're working with now, um, you know, the last year has been a real kick in the pants and an interesting learning experience. Um, when we were talking, you sort of said, you know, everything's changed and nothing's changed <laughs> to some extent. I mean, what do you what do you mean by that when you sort of looking at the world through the advisor's lens right now? Sometimes I say things, Julie, and I'm like, that's that I could quote that and make that. <laughs> and. <clears throat> It was in response to, and I'm sure you folks did as well, everyone was obsessed last year with talking about, you know, everything's changed in the business and, you know, the new normal and, you know, all these quotes that I'm sick of, candidly. And when you really look at the statistics and, and you look at and you look at what advisors have been doing and how they've been, you know, growing and thriving, nothing's actually changed, meaning the best in the business who have the ability to quickly evolve and shift and adapt, no matter what's going on, did that and were successful last year, meaning they brought in assets, they maintained all their client relationships, they, they came out unscathed, really, from the pandemic. The ones who have difficulty changing and evolving 
had difficulty last year and, and either saw, you know, the business sort of flatline or have realized, hey, maybe it's time for me to hang it up. So everything we've known, all the trends that have existed the last 10 years, perhaps they were exacerbated last year, but, but nothing really surprising happened from my perspective. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, so it's not so much about, about the change, but it's about your adaptability and about, you know, how you, you know, what you do with change. Is that right? Yeah. And, and we, we, as coaches and consultants, we say this all the time, right? There are highly coachable advisors and business owners and entrepreneurs. And usually those are the folks that you find at the top of the, you know, ranking list. And when we talk about the best in the business, there is something that is common about those advisors. And it is the fact that they have the ability to reinvent themselves and to react very quickly to change factors that exist, not just at their firms, but in the industry and, and, and society. And so we, we saw that in a greater scale, I think, last year with, with advisors and their relationship with clients. And, and for advisors who struggle with that, what, what are some of the things you think that get in the way of them being able to do that? A loaded question. Big... <laughs> well, that's what we specialize here. Yeah. <laughs> question, what, you know, what gets in the way? I mean, there's a lot of things. I think, you know, learned behaviors is, and, and something that was unique about Thrivos when I launched it, um, we combined practice management consulting with behavioral coaching because you can teach concepts to advisors and you've probably done thousands of presentations over the course of your careers, but most advisors will go back and do the same thing over and over because it's comfortable for them. And it's what they've been taught. Um, and so part of it is, is recognizing the, the need to evolve and shift, not just behaviors and actions, but belief systems. In other words, if you're an advisor who says, I'm not tech, I mean, I said it before to you guys, I'm not tech savvy. I'm never going to be able to adapt to this Zoom thing. Your behaviors and your actions are going to be viewed through that lens. And so part of changing is getting rid of old belief systems and structures. And then the second thing I would say is being willing to redefine success. And this is something I think advisors will understand uniquely. When, you're, when you start as a sales professional, you feel that excitement and what is actually dopamine surging when you make a sale. And so advisors have always equated success with that concept. We need to get advisors feeling excited and fulfilled by other things, seeing team members succeed, you know, stepping into the role of CEO. And so there, there are tiny little nuances, but it's focusing on that type of work that really helps people um, evolve more. And are there telltale signs almost of advisors who are stuck? I mean, how do we know? when we're there and, and we need uh, an intervention, so to speak, a coaching intervention. <laughs> you know, yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a good question because sometimes you don't know what you don't know. And the irony of self-awareness, when you really think about it is, but if you're not self-aware, how could you know that you're not self-aware sort of thing? And so <laughs> as what we look for is we're, we're intent, intently focused on language. Um, you know, a lot of times advisors will talk about, um, you know, um, feeling as if they've plateaued. Um, you'll ask them questions about the value proposition and the vision of the business. 
and I kind of hate those questions because we ask them so often, I get tired of asking them. But when the advisor really struggles to articulate that, um, when, when we find that they're not relentlessly prospecting anymore, meaning talking about their business, seeming exciting about their business, that's an indicator that is that something is off. And, and usually it's that they've hit a place where they don't know what their next pivot or evolution should look like. So it really is all in the language. Is there is there a uh, if, if if an advisor feels you know feels that if they if they feel like they don't know what to do next or they feel a little bit lost or they feel stuck, is there a question that you can share with the listeners that they might ask themselves that would sort of you know help help clue them in that they can get get help on something or that they can start thinking in in a different direction? Yeah, you know, in my experiences, the the advisors who are articulating those types of things, I feel stuck. There are so many decisions I could make. I'm not sure. Should I leave my firm? Should I acquire a book? Like, when they're asking all these questions, usually a, a couple things. Number one, I, I ask them to, first of all, take an audit of the business. Most advisors have challenges that they end up throwing human capital at as a solution. So their instinct is, I'm feeling at capacity. I don't know what to do. I need to hire somebody. And so I asked them to take an audit of the actual business. What are their profit margins looking like? You know, how are they charging for their services? Because in many cases, there are some fundamental things that we need to work on before we get to the bigger stuff, meaning they haven't systematized, they haven't segmented properly, et cetera. The next big question I ask them to think about is, do I want lifestyle practice or enterprise? And have I even really explored what each of those mean? Because in many cases, advisors have FOMO about what's happening in the industry. Somebody left their firm, a private equity firm invested in them, and you know now they're making billions of dollars. And I asked the advisor, what is it that you actually want? What role do you actually want to play in the future company? And then let's work backwards. Because in many cases, the advisor is fine just where they're at. We just need to tweak a couple things in the actual sort of structure of the business. So look at the fundamentals of the business before you make a decision about anything. And then ask yourself, am I going down the lifestyle practice route, which is just fine, by the way, or do I want to build enterprise? Hi, it's Julie here, and I hope you don't mind me interrupting just for a moment. At Absolute Engagement, our focus is on helping you to use input from your clients to evolve your experience, uncover unmet needs, and increase referrals. I wanted to let you know about a new resource that's built on the idea that we don't know what we don't know. That is, it's a helpful self-assessment for you and your team to determine if there are any gaps in your understanding of client needs. Just go to EvolveYourClientExperience.com and you can download it directly from there. I'll also make sure we add that to the show notes. So when you, you know, we've been talking a lot about getting stuck because I think it's something we can all relate to, at, at, you know, whether it's in our day or our week or our business. But um, when you think about the advisors you see who are, making real progress and reinventing themselves and adapting. What are some of the characteristics there? I mean, what do you see as some of the big things that advisors need to be doing? It's a good question. And I, 
interestingly, it ha- it doesn't have anything to do with demographics. I mean, we know the demographics of the industry, but what I mean by that is the answer isn't, well, all young advisors, you know, are more adaptable. That's not the, the, the case. What I've noticed about the advisors who are having success, um, a couple things, they very, very strong why. So there, there is a, a, they can always check back in with their core mission and that and, and purpose really, and their purpose and place in this business incredibly clear. Um, the second thing is that, and some of them have coached, either have gone through coaching or coached themselves enough to do this, and some are just natural at it. They have the ability to go into every day without a preconceived notion about what success is going to look like today versus yesterday. So for example, I hear from advisors all the time, you know, I'm still trying to, you know, get a following on LinkedIn and I'm, you know, posting every day motivational quotes and I haven't seen any pickup from that on social media. The advisor who's making progress is asking themselves, is my ideal client even on LinkedIn, you know, is, is, is LinkedIn the best place for me to really be expressing myself? Um, you know, maybe I should try recording a quick video and texting it out and seeing how people react. So they're constantly asking themselves open-ended coaching questions, even without training to be able to make decisions about what's working and what's not working. If you can tackle that, you will have no problem progressing in this business. So they're doing experiments constantly, it sounds like, which which I think people find daunting and, and it sounds tiring. But I guess if you have that mindset of this is, like you say, this is just how my day goes. I try new stuff. Does that make it easier somehow? Yes. And the, the other piece of it is being comfortable being uncomfortable mm. for extended periods of time. Um, I, I just recorded actually a video two days ago talking about the power of working both on and in the business every single day. Because advisors often say, well, I want to get to a place in time when I'm just working on the business so I can think about what to do next. The truth is you're never going to get that time. So you have to teach yourself to constantly experiment throughout the day, focus on what you do well. But be willing to be vulnerable, vulnerable enough to tell your clients, folks, we, we've learned a lot in the past year. We're trying to keep up to speed on marketing and technology and how to communicate with you. So we're going to start sending out a monthly video to you. Being vulnerable enough to share with clients, hey, we're trying something new. That makes it easy for you to, to experiment on an ongoing basis. So you had just mentioned a couple questions that that those advisors who you know who have that capacity of questioning themselves and and doing a little self coaching, which I think is a fascinating idea, ask themselves. And and there was another another coach um, that I've been listening to who suggested having a short list of questions that you would that you would uh, choose one and ask yourself that same question first thing in the morning for you know some for a week or some extended period of time, because every time you ask it, something new comes up. Do you, do you have any thoughts about some sample questions that advisors might ask themselves as they start their day that might help kick them into that kind of a orientation? That's such a great, uh, that's such a great question. And, and I tie this into the, relent, I, there's a, I, I talk a lot about relentless 
prospecting. The idea that, you know, how can I spend the majority of this day being an ambassador to my own brand? And when I, when I coach advisors on questioning, I always coach them to ask what or how questions, because those are coaching questions. They're forward looking and they propel us to solve our own problems. Same when you're coaching somebody, right? You ask them what or how questions. And so the first question I ask them to think about is what questions are my clients asking themselves on a daily basis? That's a really important question. And as somebody who's run a coaching business where my clients were advisors, I had to ask myself that question every day because I put out a ton of content on a daily basis for advisors. What questions are my advisor clients likely asking themselves today? So that's how I start my my day personally. But other questions, Um, especially as you think about tackling strategic conversations, meetings, difficult conversations with clients, what is it that the other person wants to achieve in this conversation or meeting or whatever? What is their objective? And then what is my objective? So gaining clarity around what you're trying to achieve on any given day and what the client or your team member is trying to achieve is a really helpful way to, to, to not just organize your day, but steer the way in which you, you know, move through your, your calendar on a daily basis. You know, some, something I love about what you just said was, um, you know, asking what the client wants to accomplish in their day. I, 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 I can envision also even just breaking that down. All of the, every advisor who gets ready for a client review meeting or a client presentation asks, what do I want to accomplish in this meeting? It might be really interesting to ask, what does the client want to accomplish yeah. in this meeting? When the client comes in so that we can do a review meeting, what do they want to accomplish? That could be really interesting to ask. What a powerful question. And Steve, I tell advisors to, on their internal calendar, to put that question there. So that's the first question. What is the other party's objective in the conversation? And then the second question is, how can I ensure that I spend 80% of the time listening, especially if it's an initial conversation? What we're actually doing here is cueing our minds to think differently because the the salesperson, you know, you tend to be a defensive listener and aggressive listener, right? You want to get to your objective. When we do that, we actually train or self-coach ourselves to go into the meeting with a completely different mindset. Really, really helpful and simple tactic, I would say for, for advisors to use. And, and you've talked a bit about the need for more EQ training. Is that what you'd put in that sort of bucket? Exactly. That's exactly what I'm getting at. You know, I, I used to do a series about EQ and I would joke that the typical advisor, when I would start talking about EQ, you know, they, I'm, I'm not asking you to cry with your clients, right? I'm asking you to. <laughs> At least until the market goes down. Yeah, exactly. Until everybody's, you know, buying game stuff and not sticking to the plan. But, <laughs> you know, it is raising the level of awareness of, what somebody else needs from you, and a great way to practice EQ skills, by the way. First of all, understand your communication and listening style. Um, and I, I go through this exercise of mindfulness, right? Like, if you tend to cut people off on, uh, and flip them off on the highway, right? Like, if, if that's your uh, style, like you're, you're you're likely an aggressive listener. And so, recognizing our listening hindrances 
is really, really important. Um, but the other piece of that is practicing those skills at home and with people you feel comfortable with. If you're a great way to practice EQ is to two things. If you're in a conversation with your spouse, notice, just simply notice if they are complaining to you, do you tune them out or are you intently listening? Are you the type to just say, yeah, yeah, I got it. Or are you actually listening to what they're saying? The second thing is, how can I be helpful to you as you express what you're expressing to me? Practicing those skills with kids, spouse, I mean, it may sound a little bit weird, raises your EQ and you can start to use those tactics professionally as well. Okay. I'm feeling bad about myself now after that. So I should. <laughs> <really>. <laughs> yeah. Fine. Well, and, and speaking, Fine, speaking as the only husband on that. this call. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Speaking as the only husband on this call, I can also add the advice that, you know, don't offer a solution too fast. Right. You know, if, as, as Penny, you said, listen. you know, be, 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 uh, be, be, listen to what they're looking for, which might be for affirmation as opposed to advice. And, and I'll add to that, Stephen, such a great point. Imagine now putting your spouse or partner or client in a position to say to you, what I need from you is just listening and validation of what I'm saying. And then giving them that, oh my God, you just created rapport and deep trust with literally one sentence. Powerful. Yeah, I, I've, I, th I love, you know, a good question, right? And I think there's just such power in this skill set because I, I, I also have to believe that even if we ask clients what they want and what they want to accomplish and all of those things that we think are the right questions, sometimes they can't articulate that, right? And that's the, the nuance of being able to help someone actually label and articulate how they're feeling is a completely different skill set, but, but a, such an important one. And, and maybe we're seeing it even more now because we've got all these new emotions we have to label all of a sudden. <laughs> well, and, and Julie, I'll, I'll, you know, Penny, I'd love to hear your, your thoughts about this. You know, uh, Julie, it's such an important point that you can't just necessarily ask your client what you can do for them that you're not doing now because they don't know what's possible, right? Yeah. Especially if they have you in a particular pigeonhole, if they think of yes. you as the insurance person or the investment person. So Penny, what kinds of things could an advisor ask a client um, that would help them express what kinds of things the advisor could do without directly asking since the client probably couldn't answer that question? Wow, that's a really big question. And there's multiple, I think, facets to that. And the first, to, to close the loop on the, the feelings, you know, never assuming and, and advisors listening, you will, after hearing this from me, you will start to catch yourself more and more. Advisors feel like they're being open-ended when they ask questions. But if you ask a client, this is an exaggerated example, but if you say, wouldn't you feel safer if you had a product that protected you, God forbid, you I mean, <laughs> leading the witness, we call it. Yeah, right, exactly. Anybody <laughs> who thinks that's an open-ended question needs your coaching. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we often fill in the gap. We say, that must have made you feel awful. Let's not assume they felt awful. We need to give space and time for that language to develop for people who maybe aren't natural sharers. And we can't assume clients are feelers or thinkers because we, we really don't know. So giving them as much open space to, to express themselves is really important. The other thing I say to, to advisors, and I was talking about this a lot last year, first of all, it's always critically important to remind 
clients of what you do. Every other service provider in every under industry, every other industry reminds the consumer on a daily basis what they do well. Netflix, you know, with all the ads we get and, and you know, we're constantly being reminded of what these service providers are doing for us. But when you talk to advisors, they feel embarrassed sometimes to share the accomplishments that they've had with clients with the client. So what I share with advisors, and this is especially true now, getting through and out of a pandemic, say to the client, I've realized how critically important it is to explain to you the difference between wealth management and planning, which is what we do, and what other advice providers in the industry do. And and we're not saying that anyone's wrong or right, but articulating the difference to a client of wealth management and planning versus investment management, right? Simple asset allocation that they could get for 10 basis points at, you know, betterment or insurance planning, really important. The other thing I would say is um, actually list that out. What does wealth management mean? It means investment management and risk management, emotion management, budgeting, cash, all of the things. And document your client's successes. At the end of every year, you should present them with your 2020 wins. We rebalanced your accounts. We kept you invested during you know, a tumultuous time, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So you're solidifying value proposition and also cueing clients into ways in which you can help them that they may not have thought of. Well, I mean, you, it's it's obviously a great connection into the referral conversations because you're you're certainly giving them some of that language. Um, I mean, on that topic, um, what what have you seen? What are you seeing in terms of uh, advisors who are perhaps more successful in in generating referrals? I mean, have you seen any particular best practices or trends in that area? You know, it's ironic because whenever you talk to an advisor that's who's really successful in this business, they'll always say the majority of the business comes from referrals. But most of the time, the advisors will say, well, we don't even ask for them. They, they just, right. you know, they just come to us. And I'm notoriously not a fan of the traditional, you know, referral language and we get paid one of yeah. three ways. Like that's craziness. But <laughs> But I think what 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 we're alluding to here is that the best in the business don't actually have to say those words. Would you mind introducing me to your neighbor who you because they've created a referable experience to our, you know, our, our point earlier. It, it, they are constantly focused on creating an experience that the client is going to share you know, with a friend and I'll, I'll give an example. I was just talking to an advisor before and she was sharing about um, it, it, the sale of a business for one of her clients. And I said, that's so incredible. What do you, you know, we, you should celebrate that. And she goes, oh, I do. I would organize a congratulations party at the best steakhouse in town. And I would pick up the tab for the client and his or her spouse and kids. Now with the pandemic, She'll send, you know, food from, uh, you know, the best restaurant with a bottle of champagne. It seems so obvious and trivial, but so many advisors don't do this stuff. And that's what creates the referable experiences. It's not, yeah. it's not performance on a, on a portfolio. So we've talked about, you know, we've talked about mindset. We've talked about 
the a different type of conversation. You touched on the need to work on the business. I mean, so many different things that we've tried to cover today. But if you were to try to bring it down to a, you know, a couple of things maybe that advisors could be doing differently or questions that they could ask themselves, you know, what do you want them to take away from this and, and maybe get started on a different path? So I'll say three things, and I didn't prepare this before, so I may end up regretting the three things. But <laughs> this is this is the ad lib portion. We'll fix it of, in post. The- That's right. <laughs> the three things I would say. So number one, there's arguably never been a better time than now to audit where you're at in the life cycle of the business, and I say that because we just came off of a year that. Even if you've been in the business for 40 years, you've never experienced something quite like this. So never been a better time than right now to say, what is the strategic direction I am taking? And the answer could be, I'm not sure. But auditing the practice and, and your role in the practice, you have to do that thinking before getting through 2021. So, And, and that goes back to that question of, do I want lifestyle practice, which means I'm really the revenue generator or do I want enterprise where I'm relying on others to generate revenue? So get get comfortable with exploring that question. The second thing is watch the YouTube clip from the company Nerd Wallet. It's a commercial that they put out that was very successful in terms of marketing called Questions. It's a 30-second clip. Just type in Nerd Wallet Questions and it it is literally a voiceover of somebody just asking questions in the voice of the consumer. So they're targeting millennials and the questions are, you know, can I afford to add avocado to, to my toast? Um, should I put off paying rent? Should I, you know, should I be out or not? But, but we laugh, but these are questions that millennial entrepreneurs had last year and we say millennials like they're 18 years old. Millennials are 35. I mean, they're still on Snapchat all day, but they're in their mid-30s. And so <laughs> it's really millennials and Gen Z. So my point is, the second major thing is get comfortable with the questions your consumer is asking him or herself every day. You have to know those questions. Those questions form the basis of your marketing, your value add, your client events. Everything can be derived and built from understanding those questions. That's the second thing. The third thing I would say is you're never going to find time to, um, if, if you know, work on the business for extended periods of time. So bake in strategic thinking time into every single day. Mm-hmm. You can time block it. You can you know spend time before the day gets started. Simply thinking about the business and about the the state of the practice, but you have to bake that time into your tactical day to day. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. And just uh, one quick question to wrap up. If uh, for anyone who's just interested in connecting with you and your work, where's the best place to find you? I am very active on social media. I'm on Twitter at thrivosllc.com. I'm on LinkedIn, Penny Phillips. And you can really reach out to me anywhere. The, the company website for the uh, journey is journeysw.com. And I'm always around and always open to talking to advisors. <laughs> That's wonderful. Well, thank you so much for your time today. It's been great talking. Thank you, thank Penny. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. 
Hey folks, Steve again. Thanks for joining us on Becoming Referrable. If you like what you've been hearing, please do us a favor and rate us on iTunes. It really helps. You can get all the links, show notes, and other tidbits from these episodes at becomingreferrable.com. You can also get our free report, Three Referral Myths That Limit Your Growth, and connect with our blogs and other resources. So until next time, so long.